Welcome to Sunday evening worship here at Broadway Baptist Church. We're so glad you and your family are able to join us. So glad you can tune in this Sunday night. It's already August, the second Sunday here in August, so we are uh, trucking along here at our church. We're getting ready to have our big restart. We had a wonderful time of worship this morning back in person. So next month, we launch kind of our restart and a lot of exciting, uh, great things going on, including our blood drive. So I hope if you're listening, you go ahead and go online and sign up for our blood drive. And uh, you can give next month on on February 3rd uh, with that. But on Sunday nights here, we have had the opportunity to go through the book of Acts. So I want you to go ahead and pull your Bibles out. And we're in Acts chapter 28. We're going to be looking at two scripture passages this evening. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 16. And we're also going to look in our Bible. And we're also going to look at this passage first. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 8 through 15. So those will be our two scripture passages. Acts 28, 1 through 16, and Romans 1, 8 through 15. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, we are going through, you know, we're finally, you know, I started this, gosh, about a year ago. Here we are already in August, and we've just been preaching and teaching through the Acts of the Apostles. And before that, The year before that, I was in Luke. So if you've been trucking along with us on Sunday nights, you have heard Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And a gospel of Luke is actually my favorite book of the Bible. I love Acts as well. You know, preachers always preach on their favorite scriptures. So I guess that's why I preach so much out Luke and Acts. You always go to your favorites. But I want to show you a map up here. What's going on? We're at the very last chapter of Acts. We're wrapping things up for Paul. He's arriving in Rome. So here's a map up here on the screen of, in the Mediterranean of where Paul is at. Remember, Paul has appealed to Caesar. And he's going to Caesar because the Jews wanted to kill him and he's a Roman citizen. So he was on this ship and it left at Caesarea Philippi and it sailed up through here. And we, we stopped here in Crete and had, um, uh, had some... Uh, ministry opportunities there, and they continued to sell on, even against the advice. But one of the neat things about Paul is every opportunity that he sells, he serves the Lord, and he continues to minister. But we we have a shipwreck right here is an island called Malta. It's south of Italy, and he had a shipwreck there, and um, this is where where we're going to pick up. And amazingly, they were on a ship with 276 people. They're trying to get to Rome. And they, they were in the winter when the weather was terrible, and they shouldn't have been, but that's, they didn't listen to Paul, so that's where they're at. And so we are going to pick up in our Bibles here, and we're going to be thinking about we're headed to Rome. Rome is the kind of the capital of the world at this point. We're at the Roman Empire, and Paul is going to have ministry opportunities, and some miraculous things are going to occur here in Malta. But before we read the passage in Acts chapter 28. I want to take the time, and I want you to read this here along with me, out of Romans chapter 1. If you look in your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit 
in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. You say, well, who is Paul writing to? Paul is in Corinth on the third missionary journey, and he's writing a letter to the church in Rome. There are Christians in Rome. The gospel has made it to Rome. There's believers there in Rome. And Paul wants to write. He's never been to Rome, but he's writing an encouraging letter to them. Uh, do you always, you always think about places you've never been to? You always think they're better. Last night, or, or, or I guess a few nights ago now, Sherry and I were talking about, you know, thinking ahead about vacations and things like that. And neither of us have ever been to Michigan. And we were looking at Traverse City, Michigan. And we were reading all about it. We know folks have been there, and they say it's a great, neat place to visit. And Traverse City, Michigan, which is in the northern peninsula or the nor- or northern region of Michigan, up on Lake Michigan, um, when you've never been somewhere, it's kind of like the grass is always greener on the other side. I'm sure it's just the glory land up there. Everything's perfect, and the people are all wonderful. And then you get up there and go, we dreamed about this place. This is not what I expected northern Michigan to be like. But anyway, that's kind of what Paul is like. He feels the Lord wants him to take the gospel and to go preach and to teach. And he wrote this letter to the church there in Rome. And look what he keeps going on to say. Verse 10. Always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, don't, I don't want you to be aware, unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you, because he did, he kept wanting. The whole book of Acts is Paul just pushing and pushing to get to Rome, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I had among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. So he's saying, God desires and wills for me to come to you and preach to the Greeks and the barbarians and even to you. He's one of those guys. He wants to go to the capital. Rome is the capital. He wants to head there. So that is... That is this longing that we're seeing here in Acts chapter 28. So go ahead and flip over in your Bible. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. This here is where we're picking up from the Malta shipwreck. We're watching how the Lord is going to use this shipwreck to advance the gospel. You know, many times our ministry... A lot of times we always focus on the destination of where we want to end up. But the real day-to-day ministry is really in our routine. It's when we go through the drive through It's the people we see at school. It's our neighbors that we see on a continual basis. We live or die in our routines. And your routines, I believe, determine your spiritual growth. If you have spiritual disciplines, if you make time and allow time for personal growth and Bible study and prayer and evangelism, and praying for who's your one, looking for ministry opportunities and needs, you will allow the Lord to use you. 
planning on something for next year is great and exciting for next year, but God wants you to serve him today. Look what it says here. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely ashore, we, learn, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. Have you ever been bit by a snake? Have you ever picked up something and you look down, you're gathering, you're out in the woods and you're building a fire, and you look down and sure enough, there's a snake. Or you're walking through the woods and you came this close to stepping on it. All of a sudden, you're startled. You, uh, you look back. Probably my closest experience ever in my life um, of being bit by a snake was actually in my driveway when I was probably 16, 17 years old. I was going out. I had a small little pickup truck, a little Nissan pickup truck. And I had walked outside. I had only been home for probably 10, 12 minutes. I dropped something off, maybe grabbed a bite to eat, and I was about to head back out. Well, I, I'm, and I'm parked over near a wooded area in our driveway, but it's still in the driveway. And this is in Birmingham, Alabama, actually the suburbs, Pastavia Hills, Alabama, where we have things called copperheads. They're all over the place. I walk around the other side of the car. You know, I'm not even thinking. It's like four in the afternoon. And I open up the door to the car. Again, I'm not even looking at the ground. And then, you know, when you hop into a car, you're, um, you might look down at the step. Well, I look down because I'm about to step up in the, not car, it's a bed of a, or a cab of the truck. I'm about to step up. I am not kidding. There is about, a three-foot snake, maybe two and a half feet. wasn't huge, but still, it was about that long. Curled up right next to my foot. Literally this close. And I literally jumped. I mean, just jumped up in the air. I mean, I, I was shocked it didn't. That was probably my closest call experience of being bit by a snake. You know, the thing about being snake-bitten is... Hopefully, it's unexpected, unless you're playing with one. You don't see it. Paul's just helping out. He's a servant leader. They're building a fire. It's wintertime, so probably the snake was in hibernation. We know it was wintertime. And he picks up some brush trying to build a fire, and a snake can camouflage itself. And probably when it got near the heat, obviously its blood got up more. And it latched onto his hand. It bit him. So he's got a venomous snake attached to his hand. What does Paul do? I mean, this is tragic. Remember, we're at this rural island called Malta. They don't have anti-venom. They did not have good health care like we have now. So he now has a snake attached to him. It comes out. Because of the heat, so it was in the, it felt the fire, it warmed its body, and it fastened itself to his hand. When the local people in Malta saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, 
This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice, that's, a, that's one of their gods, a false god, justice has not allowed him to live. That's, justice was considered one of Zeus's daughters, the god of justice. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. You just got bit by a snake. You have a snake hanging from your hand. What do you do with it? You shake it off into the fire. I guess the snake dies. It gets burned. Uh, And the people are thinking you're a murderer because you got bit by a venomous snake. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. So they're waiting for the man to die. After they waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. You know, what's powerful about this is Paul went from being a murderer, being bit by the serpent, a venomous serpent, all of a sudden to a god. What a contrast. He goes from one extreme to the other. But I want to tell you the miracle of this. God is going to use this opportunity for him to share the good news, for him to share the gospel. Now, if you go to Malta today, there are no venomous snakes. But 2,000 years ago, there certainly were venomous snakes. But today, with overpopulation and with growth and with defortization, there's no venomous snakes. What's also interesting, this, this snake bite, look up here on the board, it surprised everyone. No one was expecting this. The Maltese thought Paul would die. But Paul is, remember, he's one of these guys. Anything unusual or unlikely that happens, this guy is a seasoned missionary. He knows through anything, he's realizing even a snake bite can provide a ministry opportunity. Any way to share the good news of Jesus, Paul is going to take advantage of that. And that's certainly what he's doing right here. He's going to uh, provide this uh, venomous serpent to share the gospel. So look what happens in verse 7. Verse 7. Now, in the area around the place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So, Paul was one of these fellows. What he tended to do was, when he went to a new area, he tried to become friends with the most influential, the most, someone who would allow the most doors to open for him to teach and to preach the gospel. So, on this island, he found the leading man. He kind of would find the probably wealthy person, person who has a lot of influence. Whenever he would go into a city, he wants to know, okay, who's the mover and shakers? Who do I need to befriend to allow me the opportunity to share the good news? That's very important. It's what we call strategic relationships. You need to be looking for people in your life that God is going to bring into your life people of influence with the greater purpose of working through them and through their influence with the whole sole purpose of advancing the gospel. 
they might have the resources, they have the voice, they have the, uh, the sense of command so that other folks um, certainly uh, listen to what, what Jesus has to say to them. It's a person of influence. In the social media world, they're called um, like a micro-influencer. You know, a, a, a macro-influencer might be uh, like a well-known politician or a well-known sports athlete. But here we are in Malta. Malta's, yes, they have a leader there, but you still want someone who's, there's always going to be an influencer. So in every single little town, there's an influencer. Like, let's just, I'm, I'm going to explain this. Like here at, um, in our city of Lexington, who would be an influencer? Someone like the mayor. Linda Gordon would be an influencer. She'd have a lot of influence here in, in our city. So obviously, if you want to win favor over with the city, you want to be friend. You want to know the mayor. But if you lived in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, I bet very few people, less than 1% of the people who live in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, have any idea who the mayor is of Lexington, Kentucky. There might be a few if they Google it. But if you just go up to somebody and say, who's the mayor of Lexington? They would have no idea. It's just like most of us, we have no clue who the... Some of us might know, but most of us would not know who the mayor is of Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So that's a micro-influencer. Paul went and found out. Now, who's a macro-influencer? Obviously, someone like uh, Senator McConnell here from Kentucky. Even though Mitch McConnell represents our state, he also is the uh, lead, lead uh, senator there in the Senate. So he, uh, he has great influence, much more beyond than the state of Kentucky. He influences, and most of the folks in America know who Mitch McConnell is from Kentucky because of his influence in the Senate, the U.S. Senate. So Paul is one of these guys. He wanted to find out who the local hometown hero, who the local influences are with the greater purpose of having a great influence. And I think that's in, in, our, in your city, in your workplace, in your school. Who can you influence? Who has a lot of influence that you can impact for the gospel? That's what Paul's doing here. So in this little island town of Malta, there's a man named Publius, who's the leading man, and Paul becomes his friend. All right, verse 8. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and died century. That's, um, that's bowel movement problems. That's what that is. Paul went, in, well, Paul went to him and was praying and laying his hands on him. And he healed him. So this man here, Publius's dad, was very sick. Paul, with the power of the gospel, prayed and laid his hands on his father. And God healed him. Verse 9. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and we're healed. So many folks are coming and receiving a healing. Verse 11. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered there at the island. 
with the twin gods as its figurehead. That's a Roman, a Roman ship or a Roman, um, Roman gods there or Greek gods. Uh, Alexandrian ship, that would be the northern coast of Africa. These are just uh, areas uh, that other ships were there at Malta wintering the winter. So they are probably there all the way to the end of February until it's safe to travel again. So then putting in at Syracuse, Syracuse was a little uh, island about 70 miles away. They sailed up not far. We stayed three days. So they went on up to Syracuse and they spent three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, now they're sailing up the coast of Italy. We reached Reganim. After one, one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Patui. But there we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Finally, Paul made it. He's been longing to get to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us from as far as the Forum of Apis and three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul would stay in house arrest in Rome for two years. He stayed there in Rome and he continued to minister to the folks there. What's powerful about, what's touching about this passage here is the Maltese, even when Paul was leaving and he was setting sail for his three months that he spent on this little island, look at the hospitality that they showed to the 276 passengers on the ship. They welcomed, look, the Maltese displayed hospitality. God uses hospitality to help lead people to the gospel. They welcomed the shipwrecked party with unusual kindness. Meaning, once they got off the ship, they were already cooking them food, warming them up by fire. These guys had been roaming around the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of the winter, and it was dangerous. But now, they were welcomed with unusual kindness, the strangers. Now that Publius here, the leading man of Malta, he received Paul's group and entertained them with hospitality. He, this guy welcomed him, did not fight against him. He looked at Paul and showed graciousness and compassion. And not only that, the third point we see here, the way they displayed hospitality, when it was time to leave, in verse 10, at their departure, the travelers were honored. They paid respect to them. They thanked them for staying there. It's like the people of Malta, they were just dying to see people come visit them on their island. Said, so finally, some visitors. And apparently there was another ship there as well that, was, uh, that, that had been docked there. Do you know, one of the things what happened is Paul finally, when we get to verse 14, it says, and so we came to Rome. And what's powerful about that verse, we've been leading up to this one, this one sentence can almost sum up the entire book of Acts. And so we came to Rome. What's powerful and meaningful about that, God uses and allows Paul to get to Rome 
he meets fellow believers there. You remember, he already wrote a letter about three years earlier to them, the book of Romans. He's now meeting them, and he stays at this, in this city for two years and strengthens and encourages and blesses the churches. Do you know, it was in Rome that First and Second Timothy and Titus were written. Those books about church leadership came from his stay in Rome. And I want to tell you about why 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are such powerful books of the Bible. Paul wrote those when he was a much older man. He had lived, he had served, he had given his life to all of these years. He had been bit by a snake, he had been snake bitten, shipwrecked, just tragedy after tragedy. And God had sustained him. And if you read First and Second Timothy about the qualifications and the expectations, this is coming from a man who was very seasoned and very wise. Paul had extreme wisdom. And when we read First and Second Timothy and Titus, we know this is coming from someone who is at the end of his life, the end of his career, and God has honored that. Do you know, here we are, we finally arrived at Rome, and we're meeting Christians that are already there. We do not know who first brought the gospel to Rome. We don't know how it originally showed up. But God allowed the gospel to already prepare for Paul's missionary work. And you say, Daniel, Rome, I think of Rome, I think of the Roman Catholic Church. You're absolutely right. But before it was Roman Catholic Church, in many ways, Rome was the capital of Christianity long before it was Roman Catholic. The Roman Empire, a couple of hundred years later, Christianity just spreads all through this empire. And then the gospel just continued to push up throughout, through, through modern missions, goes up into, into Europe. But right here in Rome, a strategic city, a strategic Caesar, takes the gospel and it advances all the way even today. Do you know, we read about church on fire. When we started this chapter, or this book, chapter 1. All Christianity was, was about 120 folks meeting in Jerusalem. Now, 28 chapters later, Christianity has spread all the way to Rome, all the way to Caesar, and Paul is there planting churches, strengthening and writing and blessing other people. The church literally just grow, grew. And I think for us, the biblical principle for us, God is inviting you to be on fire. God is inviting Broadway Baptist Church to have an impact on our city, to start finding ways we can take the gospel to this lost and dying city of Lexington to see people saved. Do you know someone who needs to be saved? Do you know someone spiritually lost? Do you know someone in great need of Jesus? You'd be like, Paul, start praying for them. 
start preparing. So how, how can I bring the good news of Jesus to them? I want to pray for you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you need to receive the gospel. Maybe you need to pray and receive Jesus into your life. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. And I want you to repeat after me. Dear, dear Jesus, I repent of my sins. I turn to you. I'm yours. Forgive me. Help me be a student of the word of God. Help me be someone like Paul who has missionary zeal. Who's advancing the gospel. Lord, I pray tonight that if there's someone here, they will respond. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up. If you prayed and cried out and called out to Jesus, the Lord loves you. The Lord wants to save you. That is his plan and purpose for him for you to know him as Savior. I want to hear from you. Send me a message. Make a comment. Uh, call the church office. I'd love to be in touch with you about how you can certainly know the Lord more and more. God bless you. I hope to see you. We're here every on our um, uh, services right now. We're on Facebook live on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And we have our live services on 10 a.m., on Sunday morning. Thank you for your support for our church. You can give online and support the mission and ministry of a Bible-believing church here in Lexington. God bless you. I hope to see you all next Wednesday night at 6.30 as we continue going through the book of Mark. See you Wednesday.